Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back here on a Thursday morning, ready to talk some MMA with you. It's a big week. It's International Fight Week. And we have, of course, UFC 276 coming up on Saturday, as well as PFL 6 2022. That will be their final regular season event before they head into the playoffs. Big focus, though, of course, is, again, UFC 276. Biggest week of the year for the Ultimate Fighting Championship because of the all of the fighters that are in town you know they're they're kind of having their expo hall of fame submission grappling on sunday pool parties viewing parties just a really really big week for the biggest promotion on the planet when it comes to mixed martial arts a stacked card as well they really do take over the town and we're going to tell you all about it or as at least as much as we can in the next hour or so we're also going to talk to ken flo Kenny Florian, who started out in the UFC as a UFC middleweight, believe it or not, he he was a him and Diego Sanchez in that first uh, Ultimate Fighter. They were middleweights when they competed, and of course, you know most of his most of his career was as a lightweight and a featherweight. I'm sure he snuck in a welterweight fight in there somewhere, but yeah, now he does the dance for PFL. So we'll chat a little bit about that card. And uh, yeah, we're ready to go. We'll be right back. It's MMA Junkie Radio on a Thursday, June 30th. You know, try as we as we must try as we can. We really do try to do the Wednesday night delivery on some of these weeks because the international audience can get it sooner. And we didn't yesterday because we went back to California. It was our dad's birthday. The reason I bring it up is because a lot of you have met our dad. And when we posted about it, a lot of you had some really nice, kind words, wishing him a happy 78th birthday. And so, yeah, we went to California for the day, spent the day there, and then got back last night, hit a wall, man, hit a wall around 11. 1130 where we were like okay we're just gonna have to fire up the uh, the batteries and and do this on a thursday but anyway let's get a few things out there so again thank you to i, I read a lot of the a lot of your messages to my dad at dinner and he he really liked them and he thanks you all and uh a watch along so saturday night goes and i are going to be doing a watch along for the ufc 276 card we're going to do it just like uh, we've always done it. So 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific for the pay-per-view. But we're going to get in there early because we're going to do the four prelims, featured prelims, 
um, at 8 Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And then Danny Segura is going to host the pre-fight show. He's stepping in for Farah Hanun, who usually does this. So Danny and Goes will be available to you guys at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. And those will be before the early prelims. So there's 12 fights on the card. You got three early prelims, four free featured prelims, and then we have the pay-per-view. Five fights on the main card. Did I get that right? Five, four, and three. Yeah, that adds up to 12. We lost, unfortunately, Lauren Murphy and Misha Tate. That's been rebooked to the ABC card coming up. I think that's the Long Island card with Yair and Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega. Did I get that right, Goose? Is that what you heard, too? I think so, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, yep. That's my voice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, long day. And, you know, um, we are going to hit the social media really hard. We've been we've been feeling this fight week. We went out uh, a few times this week. We went out to a dinner with Dave from MMA uh, Bobblehead. Then we hung out with the Junkie crew. A lot of them are in town. And we had a nice dinner and then went to check out Adam Hunter's show over at the Strat. If you're hitting Vegas, he is performing, by the way, through, I believe, Sunday night. Check it out, man. We had a really, really good time. And he's really, really funny. It's just a nice way to break up the the night. And then after that, we went and hit the blackjack tables a little bit. So won a little dough there. Couldn't be more happier. But, yeah, it has been a long week, and we're feeling it. But, hey, there's still a lot going on. Tonight's the Hall of Fame. If anybody's in arriving to Vegas early, uh, the Hall of Fame is tonight. Tomorrow, weigh-ins. And, and like I said, you're just going to have to check the UFC's website because they do have some pool parties, viewing parties, um, get-togethers with prominent fighters where they'll be signing there in addition to the expo where there'll be tons of fighters and uh and a lot of stuff going on all right so goes let's catch up a little bit here we kind of listened to a little bit of the press conference yesterday on the drive home and starting off with uh israel adesanya (laughs) he uh i don't know i i I like him i like izzy overall I, i i think no matter who the fighter as much as I like them, they always say stuff where I'm like, really? Why is he offering $3 million for this titty gate? He gets tested. He's not, he hasn't popped. You know, he's kind of, he's fallen for the trolls, basically. I don't think anyone who has, like, credibility in our sport has really come after him, per se. It's just been his opponents, and that's what they're supposed to do. So throwing it out there, I believe, just kind of like, you know, like he's just invited more people, you know, more skepticism. Well, the part that made me the most mad about all that was why three million dollars? Like, I feel like if he would have said one, people still would have it still would have had that effect of ooh, but three that's just an odd number. Uh, but you're right, he's feeding into everything that people are saying, and he doesn't have to do that. Like, he's one of the 10 guys maybe in the UFC that can just kind of um, show their resume and people sort of have to shut the fuck up, right? Like, yeah. what, what more do you want? Like, don't feed into these people. Exactly. You know, 
He went up and even tried to to do the champ champ thing, lost a yawn. I thought he took that one on the chin pretty good, and then since came since then came back and he's been pretty devastating at middleweight. He's got a good fight coming up, you know, against the guy that's a power puncher, a guy that as long as the fight keeps going and if the fight's on the feet, he can't hit him. Now Izzy is more technical, so I'm not anticipating as many moments of uh, of that because. He's more patient now. He's a real chess player. And I think he also is smart. He has a good fighter IQ. And I think he'll understand that he he just can't get in there and piece him up. I mean, if he's hurt, Otis, uh, sorry, if he's hurt Cannoneer, then I support, suppose he can go in there and maybe clown and, and get that highlight finish. I, I know he craves fight, highlight finishes because Anderson Silva is kind of like a hero to him. And Anderson Silva used to put on some shows. Anderson Silva gave us some duds, but he used to put on some shows because he would show you just how much better he was than the other guy. And I think Israel Adesanya, like, wants that. But at the same time, sometimes I feel like he's overthinking the sport. A little bit, yeah. I mean, like I said, dude, I would literally carry a resume everywhere I went. And just somebody said something, just shut the fuck up and read this. Like, there's just no need for it. You're you're the guy that's <clears throat> that everybody's coming to see. You know, you're the style bender. There is zero need for him to do that. And he and we've seen some fighters kind of go down this road before in the past. And I think it messes with them. You know, even GSP kind of talked a little bit about how bad uh, the influences of social media and all that put pressure on him. Like he he kind of went into a shell for a while. Like I don't want to see this guy like that. Remember when we had him in the studio? Uh, I think we had him twice in there so down to earth and so cool like even different when the mics go off if that guy could come through i don't think anybody would ever talk smack i hear you and here's the thing he's always going to be more pretty with the stand-up because he's just so talented than pretty much anyone else in the sport but i'll give you an example and Alex Volkanovsky, the way he pieced up the Korean zombie was damn impressive. He wasn't as fluid as Israel Adesanya can be, but he got the job done in a different way. And then the way he was just foaming, you know, at, at the mouth and asking for a higher level of competition, asking more from the other featherweights. I thought that was like such a statement, you know. Whereas Israel Adesanya, well, like in the Paulo, uh, well, now that the Paul cost the uh, Yo Romero fight, again, he got out of there. But I think he was really mad that people didn't understand that he was being patient and he was doing this. And it just reminded me so much of Anderson Silva, you know, and, and um, when he would, like I say, throw up a dud from time to time. He's thinking it, he's got the skills. Just let it come naturally, but you got to throw. You got to throw something out there because, you know, you, you, uh, hey, first of all, the judges be tripping, you know, and, and so mm-hmm. you, you never know what they may be looking at. Um, but the more these exchanges there are, the more you exploit the other guy's lower level of, of, of being technical. Now, granted, again, I just finished saying you can't go slobber knocker, you can't go the whole 25 just throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing because. Cannonier will land something, and he does have some heavy hands. But so does Izzy, you know? So I, I really hope Izzy 
I just wish he wouldn't have said the three million dollar thing. He he just doesn't need to respond to that. I know it bugs him, but he needs to get past that. Well, and here's the other thing is that like going into an Adesanya fight week, like when's the last time you even thought about Titty Gate or whatever he called it? Like I'm just I kind of laughed at first, maybe one fight after that, and then it just went away. Like why are you digging that up? Most people have already forgotten about it. Yeah, and like I say, the tests are there. You once you saw to started. It is really hard to come at a fighter and go, well, there's still ways to beat it and this and that. I mean, TJ Dillashaw went an expensive route and he got popped. That EPO is the way the, the cyclists and a lot of Olympians do it and try and stay ahead. But even just go back to the last Olympics. A lot of people got popped there. They got, a lot of people got popped at the Olympics, days leading up to the Olympics, or even before they got or even before they qualified for the Olympics. It's not not it, it's not easy. Can it happen? Sure. But again, it hasn't. So that's that. You know, you you just leave it at that. And I, I wish Izzy the best. I, I feel like he could have a an outstanding career, and he just needs to stop worrying about the the, the minor stuff. GSP used to get caught up in in the well, maybe not as much, but I, you know, people used to call him Chinny. Chinny. Man, he didn't even get knocked out that many times, honestly. It's just because a couple times maybe he got wobbled, and yeah, he lost the title to Matt Sarah, but there was this big focus on him being chinny when in reality the big focus should have been on what a bulldozer he was, you know, the fact that he would rarely lose rounds, and eventually that came around, you know what I mean? He, he didn't even need the finishes. He got a lot of decisions, but... 50-44, 50-43, I mean, he literally goes, would steal people's souls, and some of those fighters weren't the same. They realized this is there's levels to this. I don't I don't even want to rematch anytime soon because this guy's way out there. He's way ahead. Yeah, that, that whole Chinny thing is, uh, don't get me wrong, there are fighters that eventually that happens to, but you have to look at the strike. I mean, like, that kick Carlos Condit hit GSP with, most people would be doing a chicken dance after that. Like, I don't know what it has to do with his chin. But uh, let's just say that that was a thing for GSP. Boy, did he solve it. You know, he, he he was really good at making adjustments, timing takedowns, making guys pay if they're going to go for a big strike. Um, he was so good at just anticipating when people were going to do things. And he would get you down on the ground, and you would, you would pay for it. And the next time you were up on your feet, you'd go, man, I don't want to be down there again. He would make fighters just crawl into this little hole, into this little shell of themselves. And then what ended up happening was, sorry to go on a GSP rant, but um, a lot of fighters, I think their internal victory was, I just want to survive. I don't want to get finished. And that happened with quite a few fighters. Yeah. And I think that's why GSP probably lacked some finishes because fighters just after like round two were like, dude, I ain't winning this fight. I just don't want to get finished. Yeah. Dan Hardy should be proud of that. He didn't get finished. Yeah. You know, he fought off some vicious, vicious arm bars too. John oh. Fitch, Thiago Alves, Josh Koscheck. I mean, a lot of you watch those fights over again. They just kind of went into defense mode at one point. Yeah. For sure, man. All right. So obviously we're not the time time to cover every single fight at the press conference. And they're all available at youtube.com forward slash MA junkie video. The same place you can catch the weekly spinning back click series that Goes and I are a part of and our other extended interviews here on MMA Junkie Radio, where sometimes you only see the recap and some video highlights. You can see the full interviews there. 
Uh, here's another one that stood out to me. Max Holloway. Max Holloway was saying that um, neither him nor Volk are the greatest, so the GOATs, the greatest you know featherweights in the division. He still gives that homage to uh, Jose Aldo. And he went to explain that he had eight title fights, including the seven title defenses. And then the eventual loss, you know, to Conor McGregor. And, you know, I was kind of happy to hear that because I, when I discuss GOAT status within a division or amongst all the fighters, I usually point to to title defenses, man. Those, those are the, the biggest fights out there. We discussed this regarding Habib, who had three, you know, and that's why maybe he comes up short on other people's lists compared to John Jones's 11, Demetrius Johnson's 11, GSP's 9. Anderson Silva's 10. And those guys that I mentioned, some of their losses are forgiven because they may have been earlier in the career or way after when there was a decline, but they wanted to hang around and still make some money. We kind of focus on the greatness, you know. Now, for others, they're like, well, no, this, this guy didn't lose. Those guys did. Don't talk to me about those title defenses. It's subjective. Everyone's going to have different types of opinions. But um, Volkanovsky, or sorry, Max Holloway just talked about how big those title fights are you know and when what they mean to them so i'll politely disagree i think head to head is tremendous and so are title defenses so it's kind of like you're baking something i guess it's just all the different ingredients go in there mm -hmm. yeah i mean if you're trying to figure out who the better fighter is then there's no better way than head to head right if I'm Joe Schmo and I know nothing about MMA and I go, hey, that guy looks interesting and so does he. Who's better? Well, the best way to figure it out, the first thing that's going to come out of your mouth is, well, I got to be that guy. And that's done, right? Head-to-head -head is always the most important thing. But if you are talking about a division and accomplishments, that's sort of a different beast. So in a way, I, I do understand what he's saying. And I do think that defending your title is just incredibly hard, especially in the UFC because there's just so many killers, one after another, after another, after another. It's nonstop. Uh, so that is pretty big. Look, man, I mean, throughout our lifetimes, there's going to be guys that we think are going to be the greatest of all time, and then other people just show up and take over that mantle. Um, it happened in boxing, right? It happens in every sport. So uh, that's going to happen, but there are certain things that I feel like Jose Aldo, an impression that he's leaving, uh, the fact that he came from the WC, you know, he had WC years. There's just something that you can't take away from that guy. He's pretty special. Yeah. You're always facing the hungriest and hottest fighter, streaking fighter, when you're the champ. You know what I mean? And, that you know, that th th those are just incredibly tough matches, man, title defenses, because that dude is – all he's been thinking about is you just think about Rocky three, man, Clubber Lang and how he couldn't care less about anything else. And in the meantime, Rocky had more uh, commitments, you know, to his fame, his fans, the media and those silk sheets that Marvin Hagler, world famous uh, boxing middleweight champion used to say, you know, hard to get up and run in the morning when you sleep in silk sheets. And probably silk pajamas as well. And so that motivation, is it there? And uh, 
it's hard to keep up. So that that's why you have to respect title defenses. You also have to respect head to head. And then of course, eventually in the end, if two guys are two guys had seven title defenses, we'll say, and maybe they were one and one. Um, or maybe they didn't face each other. They're in different weight classes, and you know, they like I said, they had a lot of title defenses and, and they were one and one with their respective opponents. But one guy's 40 and 0 or 40 and 1, and the other guy's more like 33 and 7. Then now you go, well, okay, it's all even, but this guy just had the better overall record. So, you know, you it's it, you have to come up with your own criteria or whatever. But um, it was cool to hear Max, I guess, say that. And I think maybe what he was doing goes was maybe deflecting and just maybe wanting people to just not put as much pressure on this fight. Because let's face it, if Volkanovski wins, holy cow, to be one and zero against Jose Aldo, twenty three and one overall, and three and zero against Max Holloway. I mean, yikes! Now if Max Holloway wins, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to open up the division, and I think Volkanovski might ask for an immediate rematch. But if he doesn't, then it opens up things. And makes it fun at featherweight again, but he'll be one and two against Holloway uh, Volkanovski, with the strong case that hey, a lot of people had me winning the second one, but we'll probably see a fight four. And imagine if you were to win that, maybe a fight five. I don't know. They're, I feel like they're both still young, and yeah. and but but I I also feel like I'm overthinking it because I've said this many times. I know I said it with Kane and JDS, and of course. Marino and Figgy are working on it. They're, they're they're getting jiggy with it. At some point, they're going to probably mix it up. But uh, five, to get the five stuff. One day, what I'd like to do, George, is go through what the greatest weight classes of all time were during certain time periods. Because um, I started thinking about when you were rolling off some of the names. Think about what it was like. For you new fans, this might be a little bit tough. But when we had... Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, Vitor Belfort. And on the other side, we had Vanderlei Silva, um, Risa Shogun Hua, Quentin Rampage Jackson. That's pretty mean. Alistair Overeem was the 205 at that time. Yeah, he was. And Ricardo Arona, who no one got to see in the mm-hmm. UFC, but he was a damn good fighter too, man. Like that, uh, being able to say you survived kind of that era, especially maybe like a guy like Quentin Jackson, right? Who who kind of did both. That's pretty amazing. Those are those are fucking killers. Like every single one of those guys is gonna be in the Hall of Fame. I also forgot Little Nog. Um, yeah. And then eventually Forrest came around, but yeah, that that was a special time. And they used to call the two hundred five division the UFC's marquee division. Forget about. The heavyweights or or anything like that. The lightweights weren't really really existing, much less the the lighter weight classes below them. It was the marquee division. Chuck Liddell was their boy. Tito Ortiz obviously was a torchbearer. So was Randy Couture. But yeah, that was that was pretty cool. It'd be interesting to do that. Um, how about Sean Strickland? What do you say about this guy? We can't deny goes that we didn't giggle at times. So he makes it lively and fun. He's roasting. But in between all that, he still <laughs> says some inappropriate things. And guess what, goes? I'm laughing at some of those inappropriate things, kind of like the lighter side of things. I hate to try and be a fake on here and pretend like I'm offended at everything. I'm just not. Um, but I understand 
some things can be and some things just can't continue, especially when we're always trying to button the sport up and prove to this to others that this isn't just um you know two guys on the street on the docks mixing it up you know hey take a serious uh no it's regulated it's regulated it's on television it's on major networks you can bet on this sport people pay thousands to sit in great seats to watch this sport you know we have an award show we have a hall of fame it's a proper sport but yeah there's just some dudes out there you know that are Rough around the edges, we'll say. Um, but here's the thing, goes. Strickland kept saying, you guys know me. I'm not this. Do you think that applied to maybe 75% of what he was saying was true? That he really is, you know, that he really does love the gay community, the people that he probably knows that are gay or whatever. He's just offensive. I mean, where do you stand with this guy? I, you know, I go back and forth. I will say this. In meeting him in person quite a few times, he's never been a dick to me. He's always been nice. He's always said funny things. Um, here's the part that's confusing about Sean Strickland. Is at first, he kind of shocked everybody because he was different, right? But then, in a way, and he was kind of like uh, himself. Now I think he may be falling in love with being himself. So now I can't tell if he's being genuine anymore or if he's actually just trying to say crazy out there things. You know, like, I, I don't know if he's falling in love with that persona or what the deal is. Because yesterday it was like crowd working, right? Like like a comedian. Um, Didn't so he get a round of applause as the thing was ending too? Or someone back there? I don't know if it was the media was or people off to the <laughs> side. I, I thought I heard one of these. <laughs> yeah. But then you can also tell that he's learning a little bit as well. Like, you know, he's, he kind of says the right things. Like, hey, I get it. I don't want to get caught saying blah, blah, blah. But then he says blah, 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 right? So it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I'm with George. I'm not going to sit here and say that, uh, oh, this guy, we need to clean up. You know, like, sometimes I giggle, man, at some of the shit he says. Uh, but the one thing I will say about Sean Strickland, for as crazy as you guys think he is, I think if you genuinely walked up to him and said, hey, man, I think what you said was fucked up. It it really hurt my feelings or whatever. You probably either apologize or shake your hand and just say, hey, man, like, sorry. You know, like, he seems like that type of guy. Um, I don't think he, he, he would be the guy that would like to have a lot of grudges and shit like that. Like, at the end of the day, I think he's he's an okay dude. He said he didn't finish high school, and I think he kind of admits I'm probably ignorant to a lot of stuff here's what I think Sean Strickland should do because he says hey look I know you can't do this forever I want to make some money change my life you know and then maybe not even sail off into the sunset drive out to the pasture whatever he I mean he just he comes clean I'm a hillbilly I'm you know I'm a rural guy whatever and if he could sit with his team re-watch what he says and just clean a few things up, he would stop stepping in the same piles of shit. You know how he says, oh, man, I'm going to try and be up here and be good. I promise. I'm not going to say any of that gay shit. Okay. Change that into, all right, guys, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to say any of the offensive stuff that I've said in the past. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we know what that offensive stuff that he said in the past is, and that's the quote-unquote gay shit or whatever. He needs to just stop saying and repeating certain words um, because it, it 
it shows me that he's trying to learn because he's pointing that out, but yet he still keeps saying some of the offensive terms, and that's the stuff that, you know, on social media, it just multiplies. And and there's a lot of people that, that don't put up with it, you know, and they're quick to point it out. That's yeah. not me. Um, I, I, I have a little bit of thicker skin. I'm just kind of used to it, and and I, I just think that, what are you going to do, man? You're going to complain about every single thing out there. You got to know when, you know, when to do it. And um, fuck, even as I'm saying that right away, I'm thinking, who, who's going to say, oh, my God, this guy doesn't take homophobia? Nope, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you just can't be obsessed with every single word. At some point, you have to be living your life and not even being paying attention to that. You, got, you almost have to, like, watch. If you want to watch the previews to the fight, watch them. You're, you know, and and uh, and and get on with it or whatever, right? Yeah, probably going off on a tangent here. Um, all of these little, you know, pre-fight interviews are available on YouTube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. If you want to check them out, they're all up there. These were some of the ones that kind of stood out to us. We got to get to our guest, Kenny Florian former UFC lightweight title contender, former UFC featherweight title contender. Of course, he was one of the first that used to work the desk for the UFC over on Fox Sports. Now he's kind of doing his thing over at PFL as a color commentator. And uh, PFL has their last regular season offering this Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Let's bring in Ken Flo. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar in the sport of mixed martial arts. We get to talk to Ken Florian, who is going to be announcing the fights along with that team over there, that outstanding team of Sean O'Connell and Randy Couture. This is the last regular season for the PFL in 2022. Of course, it's Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern for all of you hardcores that want to check out the in, uh, excuse me the prelim cards and of course you work up to the main card on ESPN 9 Eastern 6 p.m. Pacific the last few spots of the playoffs are at stake cancel of course a long time uh UFC lightweight featherweight middleweight everything stand out what's up Ken Flo? how are you sir what's going on boys not much. You got to give those young fans the reminder. You know, it's been a while since you laced up the gloves, but you put in some time in there, so you got to get that love. You know, you you're not just the guy behind the mic. You're a guy that also helped build this this damn thing that that we're all doing. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, do the fighters? Does, does the fighter ever walk in at the, at the meetings and just? I'm done, I'll be damned. You you fought too, like that because maybe they just don't know the history of the sport. Um, I think the fighters pretty much know, you know, they, they probably, you know, it, it's weird when they, I, I think it's weirder that they tell me like, I, I used to watch you when I was a kid. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> like, I used to say that. And now I have, you know, people telling me that, which is um, a great way to make me feel old, but it's cool. It's cool. I, so that almost feel, feels weirder. Like if someone says, oh, I didn't know you were a fighter. I didn't see your fights. I'd be like, oh, that's, that's fine. Like it was a while ago, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But um, yeah. But, you know, the kids are starting so early now. You know what I mean? Like, they, they came up watching, so they've been training forever. Um, so it's a completely different environment than when I 
started, I guess, you know. Hey, well, if that's how you feel, how does Randy feel? Because you can just kind of yeah. go, hey, don't laugh. I do the same thing to you. Yeah, well, everyone knows who Randy is. Like Dominique Wilkins, we talked to Dominique Wilkins, the great NBA uh, player for the Falcons for so many years. Uh, sorry, the Hawks. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and he was like, oh, Randy. He's like, he was like a genuine fan. He's like, I used to watch you fight all the time, which is really cool. Like, everyone knows who Randy is. Um, but yeah, Randy's been doing like I remember watching Randy when like I remember his first fight. He fought some pro wrestler um, in his first fight. Uh, he had a little bit of hair at the top of his head, uh, and I was like, man, this guy like he, he might get killed. But then he went out and took him down easily and dominated, and um, you know was was a beast ever ever since that day. So um, pretty wild, man. He's been doing it forever. Yeah. I thought Randy, to be honest here, guys, I thought Randy was going to get lit up by Vitor. And as the fight was unfolding, I was like, holy cow. Like, in those days, you literally were learning as the fights were going, oh, that's the counter to this, and that's right. the counter to that. Because it all started out with, obviously, Kenny's one of the best at jiu-jitsu, so he can relate. But when Hoist was submitting everybody, everybody's just trying to figure out, how the hell do I stop that from happening? And then from there, now what do I do to this guy? And oh. uh, But, but yeah, you know, Randy was up. He's always talking about uh, the sport in terms of the words puzzles. You know what I mean? And he did what it took to stay away from Vitor's heavy and fast hands and uh, and then implement his game. So, yeah, I mean, everybody can learn from, from all of you guys. Um, Kenny, and I did want to tell you, though, the reason I brought this up is in pop culture, I've been telling some of the younger younger listeners or, or some of the younger fighters, just because we get away from fighting from time to time, and then we'll say, you're going to catch Top Gun Maverick? Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, it's going to be one hell of a sequel, I think. Oh, there's a first one? You know, there's some that, that don't even know the first one happened. And so I'm thinking, yeah, I guess that could happen in our sport because a lot of fighters detach, and they don't really watch fights other than theirs, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Um, and I still haven't seen the sequel. Still haven't seen the sequel to Top Gun. All right, but you did see the first. You did see the first one, right? Oh, of course, of course. Oh, okay. All right, just checking. Otherwise, I think we just end the interview at this point. That would be a huge, huge disappointment. Um, you know what hasn't been a disappointment is PFL, man. Holy cow! The surprises that are in store every time you tune in. Nothing's automatic. Nothing's a given. The featherweights that are staying home this year, you could almost grab those four and make it an eight-man tournament just because of the name yeah. value. But right. I mean, this. This format is something else. It really is, man. Um, you know, he, even Anthony Pettis, when he came in last year, uh, he didn't really know what he was in store for. You know, um, I think he underestimated the competition. This year, you know, in his first fight, came back with a lot more hunger and, and looked great in his first round matchup uh, against, as, or in his first round against Stevie Ray. But then Stevie Ray started to claw back at the end of first round. Second round started dictating his rhythm. Ended up taking his back, getting a surprise win over Anthony Pettis by submission in a crazy submission that I've never seen uh, performed in a professional mixed martial arts fight before. Um, you know, none that I've seen anyway or heard of. Uh, I've seen it in jiu-jitsu uh, practice. I've seen Ryan Hall hit it a bunch of times. Um, and that was the only reason I knew what was, what he was trying to set up. <laughs> so thank you to Ryan Hall, the, the jiu-jitsu wizard. Uh, but yeah, there's been a ton of surprises, man. You know, nothing's guaranteed in this sport. It, it really is. It's wild. And I think in this tournament format, you get more of these surprises because 
you know, you get that inspiration of knowing, hey, I'm just one first round finish away from determining my future or, you know, uh, getting inspired by seeing some other upset or, you know, getting that uh, incentive to go out there and finish. Um, I think it's very motivating for a lot of people. We're seeing a lot of these surprises. We're seeing a lot of these upsets and to maintain the proper pacing and to maintain your body throughout the season is very difficult. And we know how tough injuries can be both from past fights and in training. And again, you know, the first time I called this, people were asking me how this stuff was going to go down. I never had to experience anything like this. This is a whole different beast, this kind of regular season, postseason format and how you manage your camps back to back to back uh, is extremely difficult. And I have the utmost respect for all of these fighters who have to manage this, whether they're winning or losing. It is very, very difficult. But yeah, as you mentioned, we've seen a lot of surprises and, and that's what makes the PFL format so cool and so different. Yeah, and all respect to the featherweights, but really, I, I meant to say lightweights. Um, the, the lightweights yeah, are staying lightweights. home. Roush Fio, Clay Collard, Natan Schalt, the former two-time winner, Jeremy Stevens, prize free agent, you know, signing, who gave us one hell of a fight against Collard, and yet they're staying home. So now I want to ask you a question, and I want to ask you a question as someone who may be on a PFL committee of, of some sort or not. I don't know, but I think your opinion carries weight. And, uh, and and I'm serious, you know, I, I really do yeah. not. You you've really settled in with these guys. Um, what do you think of two wins? Or sorry, a win and a loss gets you in, but two wins doesn't. I think I've seen it at heavyweight and one other weight class. I'm struggling with it because um, two wins is two wins, and I get that they're incentivizing the points, but two wins are two wins, and for someone to go in one one over the two wins because they did have those finishing points. I mean, uh, all kudos to you having one hell of a fight, but you also lost the fight. What are your thoughts on that? I feel you on that, man. So what happened in, well, what happens in like, let's say the, the heavyweights, for example, if there's a two-way tie, if there's a two-way tie, both fighters have six points, for example, it comes down to head-to-head, -head, you know, who beat who, if they fought each other. If there's a three-way tie, you can't just do it by head-to-head -head because not everyone has fought each other. It then goes to who has um, the, the finish, who has the most finishes or who has the quickest finish. So um, that's how someone like Hen Pajeda beat out someone like Eklitsin uh, Abreu, which, which is tough. And I agree with you, man. You know, it, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing, I guess. With any format, it, there's always going to be some kind of complaint. But with the three-way tie thing, I, I wonder if there's something else we could do that makes a little bit more sense. You know, do we do we incentivize the person who is undefeated, who has the most amount of wins, or do we incentivize, you know, the person who's going out to finish? I, I don't know the answer to that. It, it, it is a tricky one, you know, because you want guys to go out there and be exciting. Right. Um, but if you take away that incentive, then guys are just going to try to win. They're not going to try to go out there and finish and just, you know, um, you know, they'll use the, the wins as their primary criteria in approaching a fight, which is, which is fine. They just may not advance. So, yeah, I mean, Sean, Sean O'Connell and, and I were discussing it. And, you know, we, I don't know. There, there's got to be some kind of happy medium that we can create there right. um, that makes everybody. But I know that Cleetson, for example, was very upset and had come up to, to me and asked me my opinion on the whole thing. And, you know, um, I, I do not have a say in it. Um, I kind of like it that way. <laughs> no, one, no one gets to yell at me. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I feel for the fighters, man, who who fight their asses off, do well, go undefeated, and then still don't advance. You're like, how does that make sense? But hey, that that's that's the way the PFL does it. Um, you know, all the fighters should know the rules and how you advance. And um, yeah, it's it, it's crazy when you see guys miss it by you know that much. Right. And you know what? The PFL is obviously on a learning curve, man. The product that they put out is really, really outstanding. I love it. I'm a fan of it. But I still feel like, obviously, feedback, constructive criticism, these Absolutely. types of discussions will tighten it up. Like, I, I was even thinking, like, Brendan Lockning is one of my favorite fighters to watch. He goes out there and he scraps. And, the, and, and to me, it looks like he's trying to go for the finish. And sometimes he doesn't, right? But yeah. he'll give you a great scrap. Then the other part is, is he ready to go in another two months? You know, like... um. I, you know, like, holy cow, like, that's quite, that's one hell of a turnaround. And that's what makes these guys and gals tough hombres and tough ladies, you know, like respect, man, to whoever comes out of the season, you know, on top, because you go through a grind, bro. Well, you're mentioning a great thing. And this is why, you know, I, I preach this to my students, any fighters that I work with, and I try to tell the fans of the sport of why this criteria for me is the most important thing for a fighter. And it's efficiency. Um, I can go out there and, you know, get in a 15-minute war and deliver exciting fights. Now, as you mentioned, the question is, now, can I give 100% of myself in my next fight? Because each right. time, you know, it's kind of, I always use this analogy of, of the energy bar in a video game. You know, um, that, that depletion of energy, um, you know, is real uh, in a fight. So the more efficient you are, meaning, you know, how effective can I be with um, giving the least amount of myself, right? Like, can I do a one punch knockout in round one without getting hit? Can I grapple you and submit you early without taking any damage? And, you know, how efficient can I be throughout a fight so I can sustain my body, my mind, all of those things for each and every fight after it? It is a tournament after all. Um, so it's not just about that one fight. Now, Sometimes you just don't have a say. Sometimes you get in a war against another dude, like a like a Justin Gaethje type type character, who is is going to drag you into hell. Um, and you know you have to use your intelligence and your own game. And sometimes you are that Justin Gaethje guy as well, like a Clay Collar Jeremy Stevens uh, type matchup. Those guys are just going to fight that way. They, they they almost have no choice, and um, they also happen to be extremely durable individuals. Uh, Clay Collard, you know seemed to be fine for his next fight just you know didn't get the decision to go his way but yeah it's it's such a tricky thing and i think that's why it's so important in our training to try to find the most efficient means and methods for for finishing fights kenny i want to ask you about anthony pettis and the situation he's in yeah. um yeah it's always tough to get a loss but he gets to turn it around and maybe get this one back but at the same time he's that much closer to that million dollars so do you want to go out there and beat Tarzan or the Tasmanian devil or, you know, like how as a, on the coaching side, how would you sit down and talk to Anthony about this upcoming fight and how he should fight this fight? Because a lot of people forget he was actually looking pretty good up until what happened. I mean, yeah, it, no, I, think, like I, think, the old I think it's a great question, man. Um, you know, for me, and I've said this before, Anthony Pettis, uh, hasn't quite figured out the method for uh, diffusing that high pressure fighter, that high pressure and durable fighter that stands in front of him. Um, and, and I think for 
Anthony Pettis, he's so damn good, and, and, and he creates so much offense that you can't give him space to be creative. The less space you take away from him, um, the less he can be creative, right? It's like you can be right in front of his face um, and stay there and be durable uh, and, and frustrate him, get him up against the cage, try to grind him down to a takedown, um, you know, fight him in the clinch, take away all of his speed and movement advantage. Um, if you're able to do that, Anthony Pettis tends to struggle. Um, you know, that's kind of been the blueprint for him. I have yet to really see him figure that out. Um, and until I see that happen, he, he's always going to struggle. Stevie Ray is going to just play pretty much the same kind of game, make it a first round scrap, and then try to wear on Anthony over time, take away that space, take him down, tire him out, and try to get position on him. So um, for Anthony Pettis, he needs that space. He needs to use those long-range weapons, keep his opponents on the outside, um, and, and stop those takedowns. Circle away from the cage uh, and look for some devastating counters as they come in. Um, so I, I think that's going to be the key for him, for him. And also pace himself. You know, um, I don't know if it's a conditioning issue or not. Um, it's not always the case, but sometimes when you see these guys that are very fast and explosive, they tend to not have the endurance that goes with it. Um, sometimes that's the case. So maybe it's a matter, uh, a matter of managing his energy. Um, but um, re regardless of that, a Anthony needs to figure out that counter game uh, to, to high pressure uh, fighters. Um, and until I see that, until I see that drastic change, um, you know, you kind of have to have Stevie Ray as the favorite heading into this rematch. But um, again, Anthony Pettis is extremely talented. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be another very interesting fight between him and Stevie Ray. But uh, I thought it was quite the upset, um, especially for a guy, Stevie Ray, who's so nice and been around the sport for a long time um, and was very motivated heading into this one. Kenny, we know the type of competitor that Kayla Harrison is, all right? Um, going into this fight, is it safe to say that she's not only fighting her opponent in front of her at the moment, but maybe even still fighting her previous opponent? she puts so much pressure on herself and i know her last performance she wasn't as happy as she normally is yeah that's correct um she was not happy at all um and you know she won all rounds she was you know um maybe not as dominant as she typically is but she was you know for your typical fighter pretty dominant yeah i think that there's no question that sometimes you make things bigger than they actually are you know um i i, I always think about things like um you know, the, the, the person who walks along a wire, um, you know, what, what is the difference between walking along a, a wire that's, you know, tied between two buildings and walking with a wire that's, you know, a foot above ground? Um, obviously, the, the repercussions are, are very different, but the act is very the same. Um, and it's up to the fighter, the athlete, the performer um, to distinguish the difference of, of all those things and to be able to tune in and tune out. Uh, what's real and what's not to them. Um, you know, the act is very much the same. She has been competing in martial arts her whole life. Um, but a lot of times interviews, the promotion, your manager, your coaches, your training partners start telling you how great you are or what you have to do or, you know, why didn't you finish and this and that. And you can start to to take that and put that responsibility on your own shoulders. And, and in doing so, um, you make it bigger than it actually is in your head. Um, and, you know, so much of this game, so much of athletics in general is up here. You know, what, is there really a huge difference between, you know, the top five guys 
you know, maybe, maybe not. But I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, what, what you have up here and how you approach the mental side of the game. And, you know, again, we forget Kayla's still relatively new at this game. She's, she hasn't had 20 mixed martial arts fights. She hasn't been in these massive pay-per-views yet. You know, she's still figuring out the mixed martial arts side of things. And she still has work to do, frankly. You know, she, she's not the best striker in the world. She's still trying to get better at that. She's still trying to integrate her striking into her takedowns. Uh, when she's on point with that, I mean, she's unstoppable. Um, you know, and then again, you look at a guy like Habib. Habib was never the best striker, but and you knew exactly what he was going to do. You just couldn't stop it. Um, I think Kayla has the potential to be a Habib-type fighter. Um, but um, I think watching this season of the PFL is a great lesson for even the biggest favorites to know anything can happen this way. We've seen in the UFC at the highest level as well. You know, we always see these upsets a few times a year um, where this fighter kind of comes out of nowhere um, to, to become a champion or to upset that favorite. And in this sport, we know that anyone who throws any strike has a shot. Any fighter in the world always has a shot. That's what you have to believe as a fighter. Um, the moment you start dropping off or underestimating your opponent, um, that's when you can get thrown off. So I'm curious to see how Kayla comes back from this. Um, you know, did she won? I don't know why I'm saying coming back from this, but you know, I, <laughs> I, I would like to see a stronger performance from her, and I'm sure she would as well. Um, and I, I think we'll see that. I think anytime you win and you learn from your your experience, that's a good thing. Way better than than losing and having to learn a hard lesson. Uh, when you're winning and learn, having to learn a hard lesson, that's that's way easier for a fighter to deal with. And I think Kayla's smart enough and motivated enough to be able to do that. So last thing for me, two-part question. A guy like Hausman Fio, who just won a million dollars, this year didn't work out for him. But you don't look at him and feel like he came in underprepared or, or hurt. Sometimes these things just happen, especially in this type of format. How difficult do you think it's been for PFL fighters who have won one year and lost the next year to maybe not have to reinvent the wheel, but like tweak a few things? Like how bad are those mind games when this happens to a fighter? And the second part of this question are, it's killing me. Are those flowers real or fake? <laughs> That's a good question. These are real, actually. Those are real right. sunflowers. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, in, I'm at the beach in South Carolina. Um, uh, hanging out here. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that's a good question. I, I think that um, sometimes, and I know this with my own career, uh, you, you can make um, little changes that go a long way. Sometimes you make big changes that actually take you away from who you are. Um, and, you know, it's, I guess, you know, it's kind of like engineering. It's easy to make something complicated and complicated to make something easy. Um, you know, finding that method uh, that works best for you um, and, you know, best for your particular opponent. Sometimes things need to change for, for particular opponents. And I think it's, it's very important for fighters to know themselves really well and to not go too far too fast, um, but also be willing to try new things as well. You know, sometimes you need to be able to step out of, step out of the, uh, the box that you're in. Uh, and look at your game honestly, objectively, and say, I need to get this better. Um, and sometimes you you can tweak things too much or tweak things too little. Um, so, you know, for, for Manfield specifically, I think that he t has a tendency of getting up to too much to a slow start. And I think that worked to his advantage last season. And this season, people were on, on it. And um, 
and taking full advantage of it. Man, Friday is going to be fun. Uh, I, I I wanted Fabian to be in that quartet or, you know, the last foursome. But she's got Pacheco in front of her, you know, and, and Pacheco's tough. And Pacheco's already really solidified tough. her spot. And then, of course, Ray Cooper, I become a fan of his because he's arguably one of the best PFLers ever. But he needs to get down and get down fast to leapfrog. You know, and he's got Brett Cooper, who we've covered in in the SoCal region scene, you know, and in other promotions as well. So there's a lot of different, you know, things that can take place. And, and do you know, I um, is Magomed Karamov on this card? I see him on the Tapology, but I'm not sure if he's on it or not. You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that's still up in the air, to be honest. Got it. Um, trying to figure out. You know, I think his visa issue, so we're hoping that he'll be able to make it. He's a tremendous fighter. I, I know. Him. Another one of these Dagestani fighters who came up with, you know, uh, the Habib guys and the Nurmagomedov yeah. team and his dad and all that stuff. Um, I remember there's a video of um, Abdul Manap uh, talking about Magomed, Magomed Karamov as a guy to watch coming up back in the day. But anyways, yeah, um, yeah we're, we're hoping that uh, he'll be able to to, to make it. So the, the visa thing has been has been difficult, I know, for, for both promotions. If he can get in and slip in and do quick work and he can make the playoffs, he's he's a problem too, you know. Yeah, so oh, he really is. And he did it last year. You know, he was he needed six points last year and was able to do it this year. Um, you know, hopefully we get a chance to see him. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, thanks for jumping in here with us. We covered a bunch of topics. Uh excited about PFL six of twenty twenty two regular season. Lots of different things we'll have to keep an eye on. And, uh, of course, as always, uh, thank you for all your contributions, man. You were a great fighter and one hell of an announcer. That's a, that, I really like that team you guys have put together. You, Randy, and Sean, what I like is you guys are uh, having a good time while you call the fights. You're still staying professional, but you're just letting it go, man. You know what I mean? And I think that comes off to the viewers, honestly. I'm being sincere. I appreciate that, man. Thank you, boys, for having me. All right. Take care, Ken. See you. All right. So I'm glad that goes that we kind of agreed a little bit on that whole hey, I won two fights and got three points each. Therefore, my six points. Sorry, I won one fight and got the early stoppage. Therefore, my six points outdo yours, even though I'm one and one and you're two and oh. Winning is winning, man. Two and oh should advance over one and one as much as I can appreciate. The one that went for the uh, the finish versus the one that fought to a decision. Mm -hmm. I don't hate decisionators. Trust me, I really don't. As long as you're fighting, you're competing, okay. But there are a lot of that OAM, man, that Olivier. I mean, he ain't never going to go. He, he really gets finishes. He just grinds the shit out of you, you know. But um, But winning's winning, and that's that. I don't know that I have. A resolution to that as much as we sit back and we go well that doesn't make sense okay well what does it's really hard because when you're watching the pfl and you see somebody go for a knockout or whatever you go that's what's up that's why they do that you know that's why that guy's going for it but then at the same time when this type of thing happens you go well wait a minute i don't know that there is a resolution george that we really got to sit down and think about how that would get fixed we were at extreme couture the other day and Ray Seppo was there and I wanted to ask him about it, but at the same time, I don't want to just ask him and not really have 
any type of resolution at the same time. So I really want to sit down and think about this one. Okay, but you would agree, whether it's MLS, MLB, NBA, NFL, whatever, when you look at the standings, 2-0 should be a bit ahead of 1-1, right? There's just no argument against that, right? Yeah. Right, and now we have to figure out a point system that doesn't put this, put them in that situation. No, so here's what's happening. I, I heard something this from this. We've discussed this with Ray, I believe. And they, there is an, the, the incentivizing is to go for the finish. I get that. So we can still have the 2-0 guy ahead of the 1-1 guy because there's no way around it. Wins are important. But how do we incentivize? I mean, you can do that with money. The 2-0 guy, all right, so you're not getting those points. You know, Maybe he feels, well, no, because his incentive is to stay healthy and get to that million dollar prize and going two and O is one way to go about it. You know what I mean? I don't know too many people that have gone two and O in the regular season and still didn't make the playoffs. So, okay. Yeah. That's a great question. How, how do we get around it? I mean, other than just say, well, the two wins are now the tiebreaker. They go in, but how do we still keep incentivizing? I mean, the, the, man, you know, the, Tough, right? A finish bonus, I you know, finish bonus. I um, maybe undefeated bonus. Maybe the two and zero guy goes in as the number one. The one and one guy goes in as the number two. They both have six points. However, the one and one guy, no, the one and one guy, I was gonna say, can choose whether he wants to fight three or four. So that rewards the finisher, but it also doesn't put him ahead of number one. So then what would be the point of being number one? The point would be that if this worked out in four and five, four would go and five wouldn't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It, we'll think about that before the next. Um, I mean, they're not going to apply it to this year, but before right. the playoffs come, maybe we can give it some thought so we can talk about it a little bit more. But like I said, I, I just can't find anyone that would disagree with, Two and zero should be ahead of one and one in any standings. Yeah, I gave the example the other day uh, on spinning back. Like, if you are a Habib fan, goes and you bet Habib on the money line each time, you won twenty nine bets. And if you were a Habib fan, you had twenty nine plane rides home where you were tickled to death because your boy won. You know, that's when we were kind of discussing uh, goats and stuff. but um, anyway, thank you to Ken Flo for his time. Check out PFL 6 2022. Let's focus back on UFC 276 uh, and this international fight week that's coming up. Uh, first, a quick reminder for UFC 276. Watch along. 8 Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific is when we'll be live here on MMA Junkie. Check goes an eye out. Shout out to our colleague, Danny Segur. He'll do the pre-fight show at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We'll be with you for a total of nine fights. Um, goes Joe Rogan said, I, I think it was our site that kind of came after him a little bit when he kind of came up with some ways to improve scoring or something like that. I don't remember, but we said, uh, that's been implemented, you know, because he did the Joe Rogan experience with Gina Carano. And so, you know, he kind of brought something up like that about, you know, him actually being sourced at times he says the big problem is with 10-9 i agree with that 
10-9 in the Esparza. Let me put it to you like this. I always use this. 10-9 in the Esparza Nama Yunus first round of their second fight is not equal to 10-9 of the third round when Aljo beat Jan in the second fight. Because you remember, a lot of us are going, Woo, was that a 10-9 or 10-8? We all agreed that round two was a 10-8. But was that a 10-8 we were saying? No, nah, no. Nah. Uh, he was really, really dominant, but he didn't reach that threshold because he didn't either damage him enough or or dominate him enough. Nope, just a 10-9. All 10-9s are not created equal, and that's the problem. It's just no one can bring themselves the right 10-8s, and no one can bring themselves the right 10 10 that, I believe, is one of the problems. I don't believe the judges are stupid, and I don't believe if you just wipe them all out, pick the top 20 judges that you've ever heard of that have, that have adjudicated this sport, we ain't going to find 20 of them right away that are as good as them. So it ain't them. Um, it's I think it's that whole all 10 nines are just not created equal. But even if you adjusted that, because that does make sense, if you were to adjust that, you would still come up with people that, uh, huh? I thought it was a 10-9 versus a 10-8 or a 10-7. Like, yeah. there's still going to be problems. So well, really, I don't, I don't know that the system is that busted. I think, um, I, I really just think judges, man, you got you to gotta really have a bigger pool. And when they don't get it right, they just got to go more towards the bottom and use the ones that, that do get it right more often and just figure that one out. But uh, all of, you know, open scoring, former fighters, uh, coaches, like there's, there's loopholes in all of this. There's things you can pick on all of them. We just have to be better at it. He did say that, and by the way, I'm still not on board with open scoring. I had thrown this out a few years ago. I don't think I've spoken to it since. I think it's those two numbers, 10-9. Regardless if they come from boxing or whatever, I'm not too worried about that. It's just 10-9 has is is ingrained in us. And I feel like if they came up with a different number system, maybe we could reteach ourselves. Here's what I mean by that. About five years ago, MGM Resort said, you now have to pay for parking. And everybody said, no one pays for parking in Vegas. That's why we come to Vegas. That happens in New York and L.A. and all the big cities. When you stay at a hotel, you also pay parking for a night. It doesn't happen in Vegas, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody told me, well, yeah, they're going to take some heat. But guess what? Whenever that happened, it was 2015, 16, I don't know, whenever it happened, every year a new set of kids turns 21 and they come to Vegas for the first time. And when they do, and they see the $10 parking, they're not saying, oh, man, but in New York, unless they're world travelers at a young age, they're not saying that. They're just going, 10 bucks. Hey, who's got, who's got the 10 bucks? Who's got 10 bucks or whatever? I do, I do. You know, and then boom, they pay it, and that's it. Because they don't know any better. You know what I mean? And then the next year, those same 21-year-olds, they're used to it because they did it the, the year before, and the new ones are doing it. And then the complainers have already started getting used to it. Oh, yeah, back in the old days, we didn't used to do it. But now you're paying it. You're getting used to it. And then all of a sudden, that cycle of about three, five years goes, and now everyone's fucking paying it in it. And it, and it just kind of goes away. So with 10-9, I think we have to just get away from it. And what I was saying was do the three-point system. What does that mean? If I beat you pretty good, decisive, 3-2. If I smacked you around really, really good, 3-1. And if it was like that, kind of 10-8-ish, 3 um, nothing. 
All right. So now we get away from 10, from the 10, 9, 10, 8, 10, 7. We just retrain ourselves using different numbers. So I'm going to define 3, 2 would be what Carla did to uh, Rose in those rounds that they just felt compelled to write 10, 9s, even though I was finally okay with a 10, 10 in some of them. Uh, he, she edged her out or he edged him out 3, three 2. The definitive rounds like Aljo and Jan round three of their second fight. That's your 3-1. So that's the borderline 10-9. Could it have been a 10-8? If the 8.5 existed, we would do that. That's your 3-1. And then 3-0 is Aljo versus Jan in their second fight in round two when everyone goes, oh, fuck, yeah, that was a 10-8. You know what I mean? Or Gray Maynard versus Frankie Edgar in their round one. Just tons of knockouts, tons of knockouts, which some have argued could have even been a 10-7. But now that's something really, really clear. That becomes your 3 nothing. You just have to get away and retrain the 10-9s. It would take a few years, but then we'd get away with it. We'd have our own scoring system. Joe did suggest having tallies, judges having tallies of 100-20, 56-29 or whatever. And what he was saying was, you're accounting for everything. Nice elbow. Oh, that was a nice spinning back fist. Oh, that kick to the leg. So it's almost like you have like a clicker. You would almost like kind of like have a, like a clicker in your hand of all the different techniques, even the little love tap, uh, you know, front kicks that they just throw out when they're kind of like throwing out that feeler jab or whatever. And each I one's worth you, something else. They're, they're worth something. Then you just look and see who kind of had the clicker. Maybe you give two clicks to, oh, that was a big right. You got to give him three clicks, you know, da, 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 da. and now all of a sudden those clickers are climbing. At least that's kind of what he made it sound like when he was talking to Gina Carano that, um, you know, but do the judges want to do all that? I think the judges are doing that in their head. I think the judges are going, oh, that was a big right, and they're using that pendulum that we've talked to, uh, talked to Richard uh, Bertrand about, you know, where he's giving a lot of credit. So they're, they're kind of doing a clicker in their head, only they're not actually, you know, using the little stick method, you know, four sticks, and then the, the slasher, that's the fifth. You're not doing that. You're not using clickers. You're just kind of doing it in your head. That sounds to me a little bit more complicated, honestly, than, <coughs> than just figure out who kicked whose ass that round. I understand what he's saying. I, I get it. But I'll tell you what. All right, I'm the clicker guy, and I see a great, great knee, right? And I'm going to double or triple click it but I accidentally pushed it twice. Oops, I got to fix that, right? What am I doing in the middle of a fight? Am I, am I trying to fix that or am I watching the fight? There's just so much shit, dude. There's so much shit. Yeah. The other thing could be the criteria, you know, um, <sighs> define the criteria even more, but I think they've already done that. They're already saying striking and grappling, effective stri striking and grappling. Let's concentrate on that. And that's where they've left cage control and aggressiveness kind of like in, in, in way in the background. You know what I mean? When they used to present them in the OCs, they would have the four criteria and it almost sounded like it was 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%. Then they started telling you, no, 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 there's more of an emphasis on this. And, um, but again, you've already trained certain fans to think a certain way. You got to get them out of that and just create a new number system, letter system. I don't know, but you got to get away from that 10-9 because, like I say, it's just you're, you're too ingrained with it. Um, what you're going to do is you're going to certainly phase out old school people, retrain them a little bit, but the newer fans, they'll adapt and eventually, and that's all they'll know. You know, Some fans really, really refuse to figure out 
Hoist Gracie. God, you got to go back and watch it, man. This guy was fucking amazing. He won three in one night, four in one night, three in one night, super fight, submissions, any weight classes. And you tell him about it, like, really? Yeah, man, that sounds cool. But they're too lazy to go back and watch it and appreciate it and understand. Some people just don't care. All they're worried about is when I started, McGregor was the man. He was hanging off that octagon in New York. He had two titles. He's the shit. That's when their history started. And that's all they care about. Liddell, oh yeah, they sounded like he was cool, but all they care about is that. Right. Kind of like Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell. Dad used to tell us all about them. Oh, thanks, Dad, but we got Kareem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's oh, wow, he scored 101 games, and Bill Russell's got 11 titles. That's legit. I would say that. That's legit. But did you see Abdul Jabbar? You know what I mean? And and then uh -huh. and here comes Akeem, here comes Ewing, and then that that's when my history started. Yeah. All right. We got to wrap up soon here. Uh, I, I think that was – I always tell people, go check out the UFC 277 – sorry, 276 pre-event facts. I was going to go over it, but we're running out of time. Cerrone and Miller are just got amazing stats. Check that out. Mike Bond pours his heart out into that one. It's really, really good. Um, don't forget about our watch-along on Saturday. We got – Nine fights that will be with you here on MMA Donkey goes, and I'll be watching the fights along with you for the four early prelims. And then after that, if you choose not to get the pay per view, $74.99, I feel you. It's a that that's a body shot. We'll tell you what's happening as the fights are on. So just keep it on with us, chat with us in the chat room, follow our Twitter feed. It really, really is fun. All that stuff we talked about, the Strickland News Conference going off the rails, the breakdowns by Dan Tom. The debunking titty gate and Adesanya's $3 million challenge. It's all on the front page of MMA Junkie if you want to read about it and the links that will take you back to, uh, you know, everything that was said. Speaking of Rogan, him and DC are back with John Annex. So they're reunited. Rogan missed the UFC 275 card in Singapore. He doesn't travel to the overseas stuff. The embeddeds are on the front page as well. We caught up with Rogan. Corey McDonald, who says he's had a change of scenery. And uh, so the good stuff there. Kayla Harrison's upset that she ain't getting fight. Julia Budd, check it all out on the front page. Oh, and, of course, Valerie Laredo going to pro wrestling. Quick quick comment goes, is that a good move or bad? Um, I think it's good. She, who knows, maybe she could have got a little better in yeah. mixed martial arts, but she didn't seem like she was making the progression that, say, a Rose Namajunas made, you know, like from fight to fight. Uh, yeah, this, this seems like it could be pretty good for her. Paige Van Zandt in AEW um, in her first match, it was entertaining. I mean, there's mm -hmm. definitely uh, there's definitely room for her there. I think you, ha in my opinion, you have to be more of a gymnast type athlete in WWE, um, and I'm not sure that Valerie has that. So we'll see. You have to have that type of athleticism as well and toughness. Toughness is there. Because obviously she competed in MMA, but folks don't, you know, it, it, it may not be automatic, man, that that's, this chick just becomes a star over there either. Mm -hmm. We are out of here, folks. Enjoy the week. Keep it locked on MMA Junkie. Thank you, as always, for your support. And we'll see you all on, well, no, we'll see you on Saturday for the watch along, followed up on Monday with our first show of the week, recapping this whole madness. Go out there and be a champion. We'll talk to you soon.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.